0: Welcome to Build with Rob, I am Rob Dyrdek, CEO and founder of The Dyrdek Machine, a -a one-of-a-kind venture creation studio. We are a company that creates companies by systematically fusing art, science, and magic through a process we call the machine method. The art is the creative vision and the constant shaping and refinement of an idea the science is the proven methods and time-tested fundamentals of business. The magic is the intangible universal luck that provides an unexplainable push towards success. Each guest on this show is one of my doer, or partners and co-founders. This show is an inside look at all the companies that we've created and the lessons we have learned along the journey. Today, we've got Josh Held. Co-founder in not one, not two, but three companies which I am a partner of. Chemistry Holdings developed a molecule encapsulation technology and created made by science to apply this technology to the cannabis space. Both companies have unbelievably, inexplicably, astonishingly exited before ever taking a product to market. Chemistry Holdings merged with publicly traded Cure Pharmaceuticals and Made by Science was acquired by Acreage Holdings, one of the largest cannabis companies in the world. It all started with a simple idea of chewable alcohol. This evolved into a microencapsulation technology that had so many applications to disrupt so many different industries. This is about the value of IP, intellectual property, and how the most successful, successful move for a company might just be not to make a product at all. Josh Held, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, brother. No, no. Thank you for, for being here. I think people are about to uh, listen to an extraordinary story of a very, very special type of entrepreneur. Okay. A one of one type of entrepreneur, a doer dyer that I call a true doer-dier wizard whose magic will change the world. That's how
1: I describe you. Like, how does it feel when I describe you as a wizard? Super humbled just by the the framework, obviously. You've been more than a partner, even a, I'd say a mentor in, in so many respects. And so just being able to unlock the way that I think and focus on executing, man, that's the, that's the beautiful partnership that this has become.
0: Now, okay, I describe you as a um, you know, a wizard, but how would you describe yourself?
1: You know, I'd say my strong set is really sales. And the the sales gene runs deep in the Held family. And the reason that I lean in on that is it helps me think, really shape any conversation, um, how I would position a product, how I would make that product then fit to an audience and make sure that I'm speaking on a deep level, but with the right audience and the right context in mind always. And so that leads me to where I think I thrive today, which is really strategy. And that sales lead leading my thinking into a strategy framework is, is what then allows me to look at what I would say is this virtual chessboard where I can see the entire landscape. I know how to move the pieces around. I know what's going to happen when I do move the pieces around. And and so it, it kind of gives me that that ability to formulate the path to execution.
0: Okay, look, this is a perfect example of what my entire journey with you has been like, where it just gets so deep. And so I, I just try to hang along because it really was an extraordinary description of of what it is. When I try to contemplate, like, your skill set, because it's unique and, and it is magical. You know, this, this episode is, like, pure art, science, and magic. It is, like, you're creative, right? You're analytical, and you position yourself. For like the extraordinary to happen, but when you push it back to the sales that the held family gene is sales, that's super compelling to me because like when I, when I think about it, like that is probably one of the great strengths of the cornerstones of like, of course, like, yeah, you got to have the right IP, the the, the right uh, strategy in place. But ultimately, it is still convincing people on both sides that there's value to come here and connect with, you know, and, and I think... I've learned so much of seeing the type of deal making that you have created because I've never seen anything like it. You know, what I find so fascinating is you really took a single idea and it just evolved into one opportunity after another. And then you created even further opportunity and you really made creating multiple opportunities almost like a lifestyle. It's almost like how you live now, you know? Yep. Uh, so I'd love to take it back to the very first time we met. Okay, I was invited to a party, Santa Monica, California, uh, by the guys of Beatbox Beverage that I uh, have invested a little bit of money into and really helped uh, these guys kind of evolve some of their branding language. You know, got, got them to develop as the world's tastiest party punch instead of just being, you know, flavored wine. But I come to this party, right? And it's, you know, it's a a dark alley in Santa Monica. It looks like it's like a regular apartment building, you know, but it's got security. And, you know, I get a wristband on and, you know, I'm with my wife and my father-in-law. Right. You know, my father-in-law and me, we love to dance. You know what I mean? If I could recommend anyone when you choose a father-in-law, if you could get one that dances, it's a lot of fun. But, you know, we we step into this party, we're moving and shaking, you know, we get a vodka with a giant, what they call a plus one, you know, essentially this chewable piece of vodka inside the drink. And, you know, the next thing you know, you know, it's me and my father-in-law on the dance floor just murking that thing. And why? Because he just chewed down a bunch of alcohol. And that was when I first discovered... Uh, The first business that you created, which was ultimately an alcohol brand that came with um, what you called a plus one of the same vodka that was now in a chewable. How did you ultimately come up with this concept? And when did you figure it all out and get it to at least where you were going to bring it to market?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it started, I was actually working at a law firm in Napa closely with a a fellow associate of mine and he was like, you know, I can get access to all these vineyard owners and some of the best produce in the world. We should figure out what to do with it because there's one distillery and 900 wineries. And if we got access to this produce, what should we make? And my analytical mind dove into liquid gold, AKA vodka. Um, (laughs) But I didn't stop there. I, I had my roots help shape where I took that path. And that path was my little town of Vacaville is a, a biotech hub of the world that I recently found out and having a bunch of scientists as my parents' friends, I started to ask the question of if I wanted to repackage a category in a different format, it, this is how the chewable was born, how could I do it? And it took me down this microencapsulation systems and processes
0: path. But where'd that come from? Like someone, one of your parents' friends was like a scientist. Said, hey, you should look into microencapsulation.
1: So he, he was literally a, a senior scientist at Johnson and Johnson, um, managing director, of a lot of the biotech pharmaceutical hubs in that pocket of the country. And he said, you know, alcohol is really hard to keep stable, bud. You're not going to be able to put it in something that that exceeds a chocolate or a salt or some of the other gimmicky things you see out there, even a gummy bear. But I think you should look at a technology set that removes what was previously possible and maybe sets a new threshold. And that's where I started to go down this wormhole of, what is microencapsulation? What are those systems? Why, how are they used in and, all these and, different and industries? And
0: explain microencapsulation just fundamentally to so that people can understand what that is.
1: So on, on the simplest level, every ingredient that's used, it, it, it may have a sensitivity to natural light, oxidation, moisture, that compromises what you started with. And then when you consume it, it's not as intended. And so... If you take that concept and then you're trying to really preserve what you start with so that you can deliver on an experience, example, if it's caffeine and you want to make sure that that right amount of caffeine delivers the energy boost that you're looking for, you would – use a system that would coat that ingredient and make sure that it protects it from moisture, natural light, oxidation, so that when you consume it, you're getting that accurately dosed product to deliver that benefit. Okay. And then the encapsulation that you discovered was what? You know, it, it started with me presenting the, the specs of the product to the, the then scientist I hired away. I said, I want to create chewable alcohol. And she said, you're crazy, but I'll be back with a a few iterations that I think might meet what you're looking for. And what she ultimately did is she took a a process similar to what I just described. She coated the alcohol in a a, a dry form and gave me what looked like pop rocks or effervescent version of, of alcohol. That was pretty cool. The one that I got most excited about is she created what looked like under a microscope, a sponge where she... In the holes of the sponge, she trapped the actual alcohol, but when you were holding the product in your hand, it just looked like a chewable gummy bear, yeah, and so that's what got my mind really moving in that if we could make it any shape, any color, any flavor, and really control that sensory impact, it could be something that could be special and could reinvent its own category, but also repackage a whole range of categories but but at that point, you're still dead
0: set on arguably the hardest possible market to get into. The most regulated, like controlled market in the world, trying to dance with the devil in the alcohol space. that That's what always kind of blows my mind yep. of even in the development of it, it was still like, nope, let's launch this thing with alcohol. And was it because of your age? Was it because
1: like it was more like a party thing? And like, how do we like have fun type of thing? Rob, you're you're nailing it. I was green. And the thing that I had in my favor was, this was about the weirdest thing most people had heard of in a long time mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what it got me in some really interesting investor rooms, meetings with people that were just perplexed by what I was trying to do, but they still had to see it, they had to touch it, they had to understand why the hell I was trying to do it. And I could go on several stories about that and meetings it got me in. But again, you know, I think another
0: huge like interesting factor of laying the foundation of your journey is you still you still got this super unique white space IP that you got as a sales tool to now get in those rooms, right? You did the work and found the opportunity and saw, you know, really just kind of a wing and a prayer, like, you know, it'd be a like great way to do if we could do chewable alcohol. Oh, like someone just in like shares with you the technology. Oh, that'd be amazing. And then it slowly becomes real when it becomes real. Now you have this amazing opportunity that your sales skills now get get to shine because of that right i think that's another super interesting part about it cuz it's still the reality that you did invent you know an entirely new way to consume alcohol but that was literally probably the least of its potential you know and even in that time frame right so we connected and Look, we went straight from that party, you know, I swung right off the dance floor, you know, uh, straight into, you know, that was your office where this party was at, straight into like your, like, you know, as I'm sharing you all my brand theory and just like this is how I think of brands. And we walked straight into your like chalkboard, whiteboard that had your entire brand laid out and the vision for really the potential of what you could do with this IP, And that's really how sort of our journey began, right? And so for me, you're out here, I've been through a couple alcohol brands, you know, like I knew how difficult it was. And to me, the true potential was like, hey, let's go after the biggest market. Like, look what Ollie just did with the gummies and look at how big the, the, and sleepy the vitamin market is. Like, let's go do multi, right? Uh, I think that's where I, really saw the opportunity as something that that could be extremely exciting. And that's
1: really what led to us becoming partners, right? Right. To your point, Rob, I think you just, in illustrating that, it made me think of how I look at an industry. And so the chewable alcohol concept was one iteration of it. But then I really zoomed back and I look at the value chain. And the reason I wanted to do chewable alcohol is because what was missing in the alcohol category was the innovation and it needed to be repackaged in a way that had controlled impact on taste and that would be able to be something that was more broadly consumed in different formats. And that really, to your point, it it dovetailed us looking at how do we disrupt an industry in the nutraceutical space, arguably had been boring pills, tablets, ingredients that taste terrible, um, that have manufacturing processes that destroy what you start with and don't allow you to have... That end result, which impacts experience, and it it doesn't allow the brand to deliver the promise that it maybe is saying on the package. So, yeah, and look, I think to to that point too, it was like it's the innovation,
0: and this is still kind of early in the in the machine sort of process. And but ultimately, it's like the do or founder and the white space product, preferably some sort of like defendable IP is where it gets super special as it relates to what white space can be. And for me, I I can't validate it. I never heard of an encapsulation technology. I don't even like know what bioavailability is. I'm not like shelf degeneration of actives and all these fancy words that now me and you speak like some sort of weird language. (laughs) Right. I just wanted to do an innovative multi. Right. And Mm -hmm. so even early on, it was like, okay, I'll I'll invest in the IP and chemistry holdings and, and just a little a little bit. And as long as we can go and build a brand together. Right. I'm a brand builder. And of course, it's like we connected. Let's go do it. You know, and we built an extraordinary brand. And to me, it's, you know, my biggest thing was like the brand is the chew right? So, you know, as we were developing what this potential brand could be, just kept like, how do we, gummy is what they call a gummy, which is essentially from, you know, a German candy that's now been replicated to put vitamin uh, supplement actives inside it that you chew, that's all sugary, that it, you know, now I know, and for everybody out there, your gummy vitamins, by the time you get them in your system, they probably have like 15% of uh, the actual vitamin that they say is on the packaging, depending on how late in the shelf life cycle it is. Um, Then by the time you get it in the belly, it's mainly sugar. You barely have any bioavailability, meaning you barely have any of that active that your body can actually consume. I shouldn't know this stuff. I shouldn't know this stuff, but I do. And boy, I wanted this, this, chew kept it stable, kept it 100% pure until you chewed it and had like 80% bioavailability, kept it like, you know, this idea that you use 100% of the active, you get 100% of it in there, and then you got 80% of bioavailability in this long shelf stable product. And we had to brand that chew. How do we make that thing? And it ended up swinging in between the pure chew and the clean chew, right? And to me, like when we landed on like pure chew, like it's like, oh, right. this is it. Like, you know, cause at the time you called it the pod, right? And I would be like, man, like the pod, it's not even
1: like a thing, you know? It's like, it's like a pod. Yeah, that that was point of difference because we had realized it was a platform and could be used by so many industries. But then when it came down to branding it, consumer-facing, to your point, it, it really needed to have a soul added back.
0: Yeah. And then, so we ended up creating the brand as Matter Clean Nutrition Systems with the Pure Chew. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Agreed. It, you know, and this vitamin now, flavor mask, right, non-GMO, sugar-free, gluten-free, vegan, like all of these aspects that make this thing incredible, but we never got it off the ground. We never actually got it to market because neither of us ultimately could build and run the business. Right. Correct. Like we were both, you had the IP and built the, and the scientists and built it. I, uh, the brand and the vision and how, how can we like make this amazing thing? But this is this sort of world where we got kind of stuck with, well, can we find somebody to actually operate this? Right. And, and I think, That was sort of the beginning of, of, you know, and and of course you're now running uh, this company that's a platform, right? So it's not like you just have one deal with me and we're working on this multi, but at the time I want to say you had now realized the depth of the potential and you were talking, I mean, name, name a handful of the, the other avenues that you were exploring for this platform during that time.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were, we were talking to large pet. Companies to build pet applications. We were talking with the largest nutraceutical companies that were doing what you'd identified, Rob. They They wanted us to fix their gummies because you could smell the gummy through the package and it wasn't delivering the ingredients that they were fraudulently claiming that it did. We were looking at the pharmaceutical industry and really difficult molecules publicly traded companies that wanted us to help them find a way to create a stable form that could be user-friendly and that could control the impact on taste. And, you know, in, in that category, if you can impact patient compliance, it's significant. And take the same concept and if you can give your pet a daily or a flea med or something where you're controlling impact on taste and that ingredient Its integrity is intact from when you manufacture it to when your pet takes it for whatever their need state is they're addressing. It's powerful. And so to your point, it, it evolved from a platform that was initially a chewable and all of those different industries asking us to fix their ingredient instability problems started to spin out all these derivative products. And that's where chemistry holdings really started to broaden as not a single delivery format, meaning not just a chewable, but started to iterate other products where we developed oral thin film and tablets and topical ingredients in emulsions for beverages. And it was um, really us continuing to learn, us continuing to build more proprietary processes and IP to further protect that platform, knowing that There was use cases and legitimate business opportunities for us to go and execute against. But as you described earlier, we weren't the operator of a gummy multivitamin company,
0: (laughs) you know, and at one point it was like encapsulating water for NASA. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was like, it was, it was literally like anything that needed to be like stabilized and, and that's an active ingredient stabilized and
1: put into a chewable was like, right. I mean, everything department I, of defense, like yeah. a, a, a chewable that could keep a soldier up for three days straight. Cause it would just time release the ingredient. Right. Their body.
0: Right. Like, you know, and, and uh, there's so many different aspects that, again, I'm on, I'm just along for the ride at this point. Right. Because mm-hmm. every time, you know, I, like, we would discuss all these different opportunities. I, you know, I was lightly invested in chemistry, so I wasn't as focused on chemistry as I was. Like, how do we get this multivitamin off the ground? And so, you know, around that time, uh, you were beginning to explore the implications in cannabis, right? And when did it occur to you that, like, hey, n- not only is this – um they're a huge opportunity, and when did you lock in on that opportunity and then ultimately uh, what did you have to go through to decide on how to how to structure the company so it could be could use the same IP what what was the process that you discovered that?
1: yeah, so uh, similar to all these forms that I just described chewable tablets thin film that and why I say similar. The relationship I developed with our chief scientist, I I would ask her, can we make this product? And then she would say, I need this budget. I need to run trials at this facility. And then she would come back with some version of what we were trying to accomplish. And in late 2016, I was looking at what is widely used in the cannabis marketplace, a, a kilo of distillate in a glass mason jar, where every time you open the top of that thing, you're oxidizing the ingredient, meaning you're compromising how it would impact you, whether it's in a gummy, a chocolate, a cookie. And I said, you know, this looks like something that came out of a car that would be more or less impossible to accurately dose into each and every little widget that we're manufacturing. What if we turned it into a powder? And much like she would do, I need this budget, I need to run these trials, and I have an idea of how we could turn it into a powder, we did that and we developed a technology called mix and it became an ingredient that could power the cannabis industry in a way that would give scale to all of those different formats in a way that protected the ingredient so that during the manufacturing process, once packaged and then ultimately when consumed by that final end user, it's what it's supposed to be so that we could create a consistent experience because we could accurately dose the products. And so, Once we ran that all down and realized what we had on our hands, we started to look at the patent landscape and how we could protect that IP. And the news got out pretty quickly to the cannabis marketplace. And so we had a lot of legacy operators calling us unsolicited saying, hey, we have this problem with this formula or with this format. Can you guys come take a look? And we started to visit all these different facilities. We realized there was a complete lack of team. There wasn't the scalability that the industry needed. There wasn't Processes that will allow for a repeatable product to be made, and so I had to look at chemistry's construct. To your point, we're talking to the Department of Defense and um, the pharmaceutical industry and all these other adjacent industries that would view cannabis as promiscuous and running afoul of Fed laws, and so we had to figure out how to create the right license arrangement to utilize all the data points, formulas, and and ultimately IP we had been accruing chemistry for other industries use and then apply it in the cannabis marketplace.
0: And, and look, let me, let me give you my point of view at this point. I'm feeling scattered, right? Cause I'm like, man, we can't even get this multi off the ground. We're talking about pet food and NASA and now we're, and now it's cannabis. You know what I mean? Like right. for me, I kept trying to like, you know, how many times do we have a conversation where I'm like, man, you got to pick, like, just pick two lanes, pick three lanes to focus on. Like, you know, like we would, you know, because even your nature is, is opportunity, right? Your energy is opportunity. It's like your, your new evolution of this technology would open an entirely new set of people that you could go network and learn from and see like where you could uh, like create a new opportunity or combine opportunities. Like, and for me, I'm still on the backside here as like the advisor and investor of like we have got, you know, trying to bring in my CFO consultant to like organize like, hey, let's put a strategy together here and like figure out because my what my passion is the pure chew. You know what I mean? I'm out right. here. You know what I mean? Like you, you're like, dude, I got to tell you who I just met. And it's like, I'm like, I, what, ne- what, you know, this clinical trial, this like, this like crazy college, like clin- they're going to validate the IP, you know, all this different things that were constantly happening. And even when the march into cannabis, cause it was early, right? Super early. It was, it was where cannabis was still flower based, right? Where it was really like just sort of, uh, where the opportunity is still going to be sort of flower and distribution and sort of the medmen sort of zone, you know what I mean? And, and I'm like, oh, cannabis, man. Why, why now we're over here? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, where's our multi, man, yep. matter, clean nutrition systems. And then for me, even I, I still, we hadn't built a product right? It's like you're still running and gunning, but this actual amazing technology had never been applied in a product and brought to market yet, right? So I still hadn't had any personal validation on any of the IP. I'm still just like, I assume there's patents in here. But it's when I finally got introduced to another biopharma group that had a nanotube technology that would encapsulate an active and get it through the dermal layer that was for topical, did the IP get validated, right? So after talking to those guys, You know, they had, you know, another similar, super innovative encapsulation technology. Here I am. I'm I'm doing my Josh held over here. I'm now networking with another biopharma company talking about using all my uh, encapsulation knowledge. Right. Like it's like I'll
1: never forget that call. You're like, Josh. I just came across another delivery system technology and it was the first time where guys, most people that people would think that means like FedEx, like delivery, what the actual, the chewable or the topical, those are the formats we're describing. And so I remember your excitement being like, you're not going to believe this. Another delivery system company, we got to talk to them. They might have some IP that would make sense. Yeah,
0: And really, you know, what, what started bubbling up, you know, was man, it's inside and outside. You can get actives through the the dermal layer, you know, because the the beauty of their IP was rather than encapsulating the active in something you consume, it encapsulated in a nanotube that tricked the body into thinking it was fat and it was weighted just a little bit more and it would slither down and get it into the muscle. Cause when you use a pain cream, it just uh, essentially numbs the surface of the skin where this would take that same lidocaine active and actually put it down into the sore muscle you know again another extraordinary brand that I got to create that never went to market without an operator victorious beat pain fast how do I how do I create a mainstream brand for their amazing ip that's a nanotube technology skinfiltrate the depth of an injection and the convenience of a cream. Here I have now two extraordinary pieces of like proprietary technology IP and in two incredible brands. Neither of them, neither of them ever became real because there was just a, a never an operator. You know, like a, makes me sad when I think about it. Yeah, I'm the still, Inside Out company oh, was so close. Man, we, so we got so close to merging the two companies but the thing that and for me at this stage right you know you know these guys you know were worth you know 300 million and they had big clinical trials going you know just you know going to going to you know really a much more deeper scientific Uh, operation as it relates, all those guys were doctors, right? Like they all had- Global uh, practice at McKinsey and so forth, right? Yeah, like they were like, how do we take on like these verticals that we could get clinical trials, get proof, and then you basically own the market. Much more traditional biopharma. They were just kind of having fun with me of like, yeah, there's some consumer products here if you want to go for it, you know? And fortunately they allowed me to go for it, but we could never again find that operator, right? Someone to actually run the business. But they validated the chemistry holdings IP, right? That was like, for the first time, it was like somebody like completely, you know, their actual incentive was to validate the patents and the IP because they wanted to merge and build a big company together, right? And so... That was, you know, for me as like someone who was just riding the wave with you of like, you know, I want to do this multi, but like what, you know, be in any which way, but like, oh, pet food. I don't know. Is it pet food? Like, no, we're talking to, you know, nursing homes and what it's going to do for like old people's ability to, t- you know, all different types of stuff I mean, everywhere. Right. Like, but is it? We still haven't even made a product. Right. And that was the, the huge validator, you know, and, and from that point, that's really... You know, when we got together and then I invested a significant amount of capital and and had a a meaningful equity stake, right? Right. And then we're truly now partners in uh, both Made by Science, the cannabis side, and Chemistry, the IP holding company, right? And I needed, you know... Even though you know in your sales way and your way of just doing it good, like you you know you you're like where this cannabis thing is about to go, like if you wanna do this right now is the time and and really, the reason that deal fell apart with those guys was they wanted. The cannabis side. Right. And right. it didn't fit with their model. It made no sense for them. Like, and if they would have just let that go, like, and just said, okay, you do cannabis on the side and don't you, the deal probably would have got done, you Agreed. know? And again, you can't predict this. This isn't in a business model. You know, you, you can't like imagine that you're going to to be able to you know how we say over here before you start when start with the end in mind like with something like this it's like it's so big and has so much potential you have like it's going to tell you where the opportunity evolves over time right and that's that's kind of what was was happening but i would say that was a turning point As it related to the value of both the cannabis version of the IP and the, you know, the chemistry holdings like holding of the IP. And really from that point forward, it kind of became this accelerated path to what would eventually become an acquisition. And to me, this is where you know, again, your sales, your intangible, the art, science, and magic of getting deals together and aligning people, that's indescribable. I lived through it. I'm not even sure how it happened. Like, how did you drive both of these companies to exits shortly after that? Like, just just give me the walkthrough because it
1: still happens so fast that I don't fully understand it. Yeah, so to your point, we got to that place where we had evaluated now enough industry to say, where could these platforms be applied? Pharma, Nutra, cannabis. What's the path to partnerships or ultimately an exit in in either of those industries? And in the cannabis landscape, I'll give that example first, because that was the first to really run we started to meet with a lot of the legacy brands and we realized that what we did in the value chain was extremely valuable. It wasn't that we were the brand. It was that we could power the brands with this underlying tech or process. And that the fact that it had scalability, that was the missing piece of the value chain. There needed to be process that was scalable because that could be applied infinitely. And my ability to tell that story to, the capital markets to the investors in the space got us a lot of attention very quickly. And in trying to raise capital to build out that business plan and go and execute that business plan, we in in turn were acquired because they saw the vision to applying those processes, unlocking that scale, and it aligned with the infrastructure and footprint they already had as a company. So to give it the simplest analogy, we had process, we had scale, They had 20 states. And so that combination together was. And
0: and explain that more, right? So it's like, now here's made by science on the cannabis side who has this sort of IP and all these different products that could be made. We had kind of gone through the idea that, hey, not gonna, it it takes so much work to actually build that out to like create uh, manufacturing and operating businesses inside that. So you went out and found like an actual operator of the actual manufacturing side to merge with.
1: It's it's uh in each category or industry I've found myself in, I'm a relentless networker. And that identified my operating partner. To your point, long lineage of operating 20, 30 years in food and beverage, running huge facilities at scale with process. Knowing that I had the tech he was missing, but he had the scale that we would need. And that combination created the form factory story. It was tech plus scale equals a repeatable process that then could be applied to this large company's 20 state footprint.
0: But inside that, then you also built a relationship with a a venture capital group that was solely focused on maximizing or capitalizing off the cannabis market that you put dead in the middle there as like the capital partner. So not only did you find, right? You know, you, you, you had the IP, then you found the, the, the only way to create a ton of value and and had both those hanging through your network. Then you found the capital that was like, this is exactly what we do and how we would connect this and we will walk this to the next level for you.
1: I think it's that, Rob, that relentless networking capability. You have to have access to the the right parts of the value chain, but that was it being illustrated and executed for the first go-round where I'm looking at the value chain. When I say that, I mean, who's capitalizing it? Who are the participants within it? Where's the industry going? And knowing the nuances and where we could add value to that that chain. Because then when I'm talking to a capital partner in the space, I know how to frame what we have. Um, when I'm talking to a brand, I know how we can unlock va- unlock value for them. Uh, when we're talking to a large investor that's trying to aggregate markets or b- accelerate their brand's growth, I can... Talk to them about how our IP could be proprietary way of accomplishing that and making their products better, allowing their brands to then deliver on the promise that they're out there talking to their consumers with. And so it was really looking at an industry, relentlessly marketing, but being able to switch my hats based on who I was talking to within that value chain, whether I was talking to the early investors that needed something exciting to get their arms around because they already had relationships with brands, which then accelerated my access to all of the brands' legacy or emerging that could use our tech, talk about our tech, and talk about how we're impacting the industry, which then would make us have the right narrative when we're on show, road showing for capital markets in the public eye, or if we're looking for a substantial round of capital and they want to see why we feel what we're doing within this industry is something that should turn their head, that they should pay attention to.
0: We're talking wizardry here. What you just listened to was just wizardry, okay? Because keep in mind that the the business has still not produced a product, right? It is now basically built everything to make the products. right. Now took made by science and the 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 manufacturing group with the capital and, and created a new business called the form factory and then, what happened next? What was the time frame before it was recognized and acquired
1: so this is uh i wouldn't call it luck because i don 't do anything in life on that I, I I try to map my own destiny in that cannabis industry is exploding we have the ink dry on our merger. And we go out to do a series A of $20 million on a combined basis. We go to Canada and we go to Bay street and I'm sitting in front of the the current CEO of McKinsey, the largest funds, the can accords, the bankers that are doing all the deals in the space. And they had had deal fatigue on grows. And we knew that. And so when we started talking to them about our manufacturing capabilities and the scale that would it would mirror food grade products and and really the CPG space and where we were going with that tech, they got really excited because they knew that we would have an ability to execute those products. And to your point, that's where the first time, Rob, we actually made all these products available for display where we had our chewable, we had our ingredient technology, we had emulsions. And they saw the repeatability of those products we could make if the right brands were telling the story to those verticals that would want to have those products. So we're talking a quarter. We The ink dries on our merger in October. And by December, instead of completing a series A of $20 million, we're being bought for $160 million on a business that hasn't even executed his business plan yet. <laughs> we, we were raising the capital to go Look, execute our business plan.
0: I'm telling you right now the wildest thing I've ever been involved in, in my life. It's still like, even, even, even in my mind, it was a little bit longer, but to really think that it was the ink hadn't dried yet. And you had sold this company for $160 million and had never made a product outside of a sample to show what was possible uh, is, you know, for me personally, one of the most thrilling and wildest rides i have ever been on in in my entire life right uh, so that's only half the story right so now okay close like a uh, 160 million dollar acquisition it's like okay that was crazy now okay let's uh, what's going on with chemistry and and walk me through uh
1: right behind that of what happened to chemistry so we sold off one vertical's use of that tech in that deal. We sold off cannabis as a a use case. We still had the rights to pharma, Nutra, Pet, and any other agnostic industry that this technology could be applied to. And when I started my journey, um, I had come to know a CEO who shared a delivery system. And he's the only other person in my life prior to meeting the, the group you were talking about, Rob. I call it the season of the Robs because his name was Rob also. Yeah. <laughs> and he had- And, and his technology, did he, have in, he had a thin film technology. He had a thin film technology. He was really a pioneer in the space. He developed one of the original thin films for the chloroseptic line um, for like sore throats. And, and how do you meet- a guy with a public company that
0: has a thin film, like a pharmaceutical thin film company. How do you build that
1: relationship? To your point, the universe sometimes drops people in my lap. And I think that the one of the things I do well is I know how to maintain relationships because it's sometimes about time, not timing of the opportunity, not <laughs> necessarily that every opportunity should be pursued. And so with this Rob. He's telling me about thin film and how he wants to use it to create new forms of vaccines. And the chewable that you and I had discussed, I wanted to create an an apple a day concept where I could give a, a fortified product and give it to people that struggled with hunger throughout the world. Um, and we didn't have to have the issues we're seeing real time with supply chain and logistics, making those types of things available. And And Rob was telling me, you know, I was watching the powders that are supposed to be preventing malaria added to co- to Coca-Cola and to orange juice, and it's eradicating the thing it's there to protect, and the, the the deaths are still occurring. And so me and him bonded on a very deep level in our very early conversations because we realized that if you could repackage an ingredient, you could disrupt an industry, and there's a lot of ways to disrupt it. And so Rob and I stayed very close we continued to explore what was going on with his business. When I completed the made by science transaction, form factory, my operating team of scientists went along with that transaction. And so now I had this orphan company with the IP that could lock, unlock all these industries and all these potential final products. And Rob at the time was raising capital for his public company. I asked him how much he said, you know, we're looking to do probably a $10 million bridge round. And because of my networking in the capital markets. Now I know a bunch of capital markets folks that can raise larger tranches of capital so long as the business makes sense. And in creating that deal, instead of him raising the 10 million, I I thought to myself, what if chemistry raised the 10 million and then merged with this public company to give my shareholders a bigger bite at the apple since we're not going to go along and run this company? And At the time, I had met the right capital partners that helped me structure this with precision. In 30 days, we raised $10 million. We put it on chemistry's balance sheet, and we merged it into the PubCo at a value of roughly $115 And it was a transaction focused on that patent portfolio and its application in the pharma and nutraceutical space. The one thing I'll say is I realize how long these sales cycles take. And in the pharmaceutical industry, it's all about data. And that data component can mean three years, five years, seven years as part of a clinical process and long, long sales cycles. This particular Rob is a serial NASDAQ CEO operator. He understands delivery systems and he has one. And so if I can give him four more, now we're a delivery system company that can go out and pursue all of these different verticals. And we have executed quite a bit on that. You know, um, it, we have some active projects in the pharmaceutical space that are going to be very disruptive. We we're working in the wellness landscape. We have Nicole Kidman as the face of one of our sub sub companies, um, and and we're really using our tech to power better for you products that do have the differentiation of our our patents and our our data to really make better products. Well, look,
0: uh, let me clarify. He now sold the second company for north of $100 million and still had not created a product yet. We're we're talking nearly $300 million in acquisition that from deal making, connecting, supply chain, value trained, like capital markets, like IP. I mean, it's one of the most remarkable Uh, creations to acquisition uh, that I have ever seen, ever heard of, or for sure will ever be a part of. It truly is art, science, and magic, you know, and um, it's hard to describe, you know, it's hard to describe to other uh, entrepreneurs that I work with or or even kind of even the concept of like what the path of the, the journey is because it's hard to believe now that this was a young, Partier, trying to like make a social, a cool social business entrepreneur. Like I'm gonna make a chewable alcohol. Alcohol, and it wasn't you know it was a pretty decent amount of time, but all things considered, for it to evolve into the to these two massive transactions and ultimately into like biopharma wellness is truly remarkable. Thank you, know. you man. It- and and I just want to thank you for just letting me come along for the ride, man. I really, really, I appreciate you every step of the way. I, I appreciate, appreciate trying to like wrangle you and trying to like get you to focus when the right thing was to just let you live. Uh, but I am incredibly thankful that I got to go through the process and experience and, and ultimately share two extraordinary wins with you.
1: Yeah, I could say the same, Rob. I think that when you're an entrepreneur, you need capital partners that are more than that. And you're the illustration of that on every level. Like you described your value add, but you also let me be me and you let me evolve the way I think, the way I execute, but that you supplemented my thinking along the entire process. And so in a lot of ways, I think that that's really polished me up for the next iteration of what I do. Um, And I'm just grateful that you've been along the journey as well.
0: Well, look, I look forward to, our, to sharing with the world what our next adventure is. Yeah. Uh, we'll save that for the next episode because it's as equally as insane as the story you just heard. Josh, I appreciate you, man. Till next time. Likewise, brother. If you think you have what it takes to be a doer dyer and partner with me to build an amazing company, or if you want to join our growing community of machinists to be the first to test our new products and help us manufacture amazing, go to DeerDeckMachine.com. If you haven't listened to the DeerDeck Machine Primer, I encourage you to go back to episode one, which gives you insight into our machine method to really enhance your experience of the rest of the episodes. Make sure you subscribe to Build With Rob wherever you join us. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you get your podcasts and videos. And most importantly, I can't say it enough. you got to put a vision to whatever you want to achieve. You've got to build a plan so that you think it's even possible. Then you have to give it everything you've got. See it, believe it, do it. We'll see you next time on Build With Rob.